So does anybody have Psalms 73, 25, and 26 memorized? Psalm 73, 25, and 26. Got Miss Amy's got it. Miss Darla's got it. Psalm, 20, Psalm 73, 25, and 26. Anybody else? All right, Miss Amy V, you want to start? Absolutely. Amen to that. Thank you, Miss Amy. Oh, no, you got to come up and get your. Yeah. There's prizes. There's more. There you go. Absolutely. Miss Darla, you got it? Cool. Have I in heaven but you, and earth has nothing I desire beside you. Yep. My flesh and my heart may fail, but you are the strength of my heart and my portion bread. Amen to that. Thank you very much. Excellent job. Good job, ladies. All right, so uh, this is week six of this part of systematic theology. We have looked at the existence of God. We have looked at the knowability of God. We've looked at... Uh, the attributes of God. We spent three weeks on the attributes. And now we get into the being of God. So, so who is, what is his nature? How is he, uh, how is he? I guess you could just leave it at that with the period there. So uh, there's a definition on your sheet there. Uh, it says, Grudem, God eternally exists. Here's your first blank. So we're going to jump right in today. God eternally exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each person is fully God and there is one God. God eternally exists as three persons, and I've written it up on the board today. Each person is fully God, and there is one God. Now, today what we're going to do is we're going to spend a little time uh, putting the legs of this together so that it supports the doctrine of the Trinity. We can come to a a good understanding of what the doctrine of the Trinity teaches. Uh, And then we're going to look at some heresies. Uh, We're going to look at what happens if you remove any one of those legs, uh, the heresies that follow. And we're going to look at the dangers of going beyond what Scripture says, even if it is for clarity of communication or an attempt to be able to communicate it to children or an attempt to better... Whatever the thing is you want to put in the blank of going beyond what Scripture plainly teaches, we're going to look at the downside of that today. So this was the big lesson for me. Um, Wayne Grudem is the gentleman who has uh, written the textbook that we've been using for this series. Uh, This is the actual book if you want to go pick one up. Um, it'll take us a little over a year to do all these lessons uh, because that's just a lot of pages. And uh, we're doing one chapter a week. Uh, this is chapter 14. Uh, Grudem also has, for many of the chapters, online audio commentary for them. Uh, and this week, I got to go to Knoxville on Friday, so two hours up, two hours back. And Grudem actually had four hours on the Trinity. So I got to listen to Grudem himself talk about the Trinity for four hours on Friday. Uh, And I actually found myself slowing down as I was coming back down 27, back toward Chattanooga, because I was going to run out of road before I ran out of Grudem. (laughs) So I was slowing down, and I actually got honked at a couple times because I wasn't going fast enough. Uh, But it was extremely helpful to hear his passion and his enthusiasm over something that most people go, oh, yeah, I understand that, no big deal. Why is that such a big deal? And, and he really poured his heart out into uh, why this is such a big deal. So I'm hoping to share some of that with you today. All right, so a couple things. Uh, the first uh, kind of big heading section there is the doctrine of tr- the Trinity is progressively revealed in Scripture. So somebody open up to Genesis chapter 1. I need two different folks to go to Genesis 1. I need somebody in Genesis 3, somebody in Genesis 11, and somebody in Isaiah 6. Uh, 
Yeah, we're going to be we're going to be moving really quick through some scripture this morning to to show the scriptural basis for what the vast majority of us would say. Absolutely, I completely agree with that. Uh, I, I don't want to I don't want to beat a horse, but I do want to drive this point home. So I want to make sure that we understand that there is scriptural basis for what we're saying. So who's got Genesis one one? This ought to be an easy one to find. Genesis like page six or something. It's like the index and then the, the outline and then. And you got who's got Genesis one one? Dave Barber's got Genesis one one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And keep going. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. So, so we get that's verse two, right? So we get two verses into Scripture, and we are instantly confronted with there is a Creator and there is a Spirit, which which is this. Very subtle foreshadowing that it. What what is the true nature of God here? Are we are we talking about something larger than what we can normally experience in life? So who's got Genesis one twenty six? Yes, yes. Then God said, "Let us make." Whoa, whoa, whoa! We ran past it. I'm sorry. Then God said, "What? Let us." Let us. I need I need anybody that's got a translation that says something other than us. Does anybody have one? Nope, because they all say us. <laughs> you know why they all say us? Because the word is us. Now, God himself, I'm saying God like Gritham says God. God, he's from Wisconsin, so if I say it that way, just chuckle, it's okay. I heard him say it 9,000 times this week. Uh, God himself is three persons. So when he speaks of the collective, unified voice of the Trinity, the appropriate pronoun to use is us, right? So this is good. So let's look at uh, Genesis 3.22. We'll see a couple more instances of this. I just want to cover this quickly and then move on kind of the next point. Who's got Genesis 3.22? It's like one page over. Yes, Abby, go for it. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us. The man has become of one of what? Us. Excellent. Who's got Genesis 11, 7? Come, let us go down. Come, let what? Let us. Let us go down. This is the, the Lord God speaking, and let us go down. Who's got Isaiah 6, 8? Say that louder. I bet it has the word us. I bet it has the word us in it. Yes, it does. You are figuring this thing out. Who's got Isaiah 6, 8? Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And this, this is the verse that I love the most that illustrates this because it, it both illustrates the individual persons of the Trinity and the collective of the Trinity, right? So whom shall I send and who will go for us? It is beautiful, right? And I can't say that. I, I, I can't say whom will I send and whom will go for us. That doesn't make any sense. You'd say, Jim didn't take his medicine this morning if he says things like that, right? That's just, this is something is not right if you, say, if you use these pronouns this way. All right, so let's look at a couple other things. Um, let's look at Psalm 45, Hebrews 1, Psalm 110, Isaiah 61, and Malachi 3. Okay? All these verses are on the page, too. So, All right, so who's got Psalm 45, 6, and 7? Yes. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you. Therefore, God what? 
Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you. Wait, wait, what? Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you. So God is anointing God? Does this seem to be the clear teaching of this verse? Yeah. It's because God is anointing God. The Father is anointing the Son. God is anointing... Now, who wrote this? David. Did David know Jesus? Nope. This further illustrates this concept that the Holy Spirit is speaking through these men as they wrote, illustrating truth that will be progressively revealed throughout all of Scripture. Who's got Hebrews 1.8? Yes, Bree? But about the Son, he, what, tell me what the S looks like on that. Capital. It's a capital S. Thank you. But about the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. That's beautiful. Who's got Psalm 110, verse 1? The Lord said to my Lord. The Lord said to my Lord. Interesting, right? So we have multiple persons of the Trinity communicating or talking about or interfacing with each other and giving us just these little glimpses of there's more than one person. There's more than one person. There's more than one person. And then we get to like Isaiah 61.1. Who's got Isaiah 61.1? The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, in the opening of the prison to them that are bound. So you have the Spirit and the Lord both actively working in the same verse. Malachi 3, 1 and 2. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare a way. And who? I, I send my messenger in what? And he. And he, okay, good. Will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom uh, you seek will suddenly come upon his temple even the messenger of the covenant, in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Absolutely. So we see this, this partial revelation in the Old Testament, and then we see this, this really complete revelation of this in the New Testament. Let's look at uh, uh, Matthew three sixteen and 17. It's probably the, the easiest example to see all the members of the Trinity fully engaging, fully interacting at one scene. Right. So what scene is this? Anybody know? It's the baptism of Jesus Christ, right? It's the baptism of Jesus Christ. And this one example actually debunks some of the heresies that we're going to talk about later on in the class. So who's got Matthew uh, 3, 16 and 17? Yes. All right. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven So where is Jesus? He went up out of the water. He's up out of the water, right? So he's still in the river. Okay, great. Keep going. At that moment, heaven was opened saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. So is Jesus the Spirit? If Jesus is in the water, is Jesus the Spirit up in the sky? No. Did you? He got it. You didn't get it, right? Thank you. All right. So we've been listening to the, uh, what soundtrack has this? The Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack? Fantastic soundtrack. Oh, my goodness. One of the songs on it is Going to the Spirit in the Sky. Sorry. So I worded that sentence just to make you laugh, and you didn't. It was just nothing. So Okay. Jesus is in the water. Spirit's in the sky. What else we got going? All right. So, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and 
lighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, "This is my son." Oh, so we got somebody else going on here. <laughs> this is getting complicated, right? This is so complicated. We have three distinct things going on right at the same time, right? Okay. What does what does this voice say? This is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's like this is my son. It's the father speaking to the son. All right, so. There's gobs of other references in the New Testament about Father, Son, and Spirit. Father, Son, and Spirit. Father, Son, and Spirit. The, the one that you probably have memorized the most is the Great Commission. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Right? So this is, this is a very, very common theme that is really fleshed out in the New Testament. So Grudem goes back and he says there's three fundamental statements that the Scripture teaches. That God is three persons. That each person is fully God. And that there is one God. Okay, so let's let's expound on those just a little bit. So let's go to John one verses one and two. John one one and two. So when we say God is three persons, we mean the Father is not the Son, the Father is not the Spirit, and the the Son is not the Spirit. Okay, three distinct persons. So who's got John one one and two? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Whoop! Time out. So. So the Word, and we found out later in verse, I think, 14, that the Word that we're talking about here is Jesus, right? So Jesus was God, right? Excellent. But Jesus was also, what's the other uh, preposition? Jesus was with God. So, so he, he was God, but he's also with God. So there's a distinction of person here. So keep going with that verse. He was in the beginning with God. In the beginning. So when was the beginning? The beginning. That's a great answer, Amy. Uh, the beginning was before creation. So he was eternally with God before creation as this son in that relationship. Now, this is a very common thing to debunk right now. There's a lot of uh, bloggers and authors and uh, folks trying to say that Jesus was not always the son, but he, he became the son when he was sent to earth and that this relationship was created at that point. And the problem is... the Bible just says that's not true, so um, there's not a lot where you can go with that. So, so God is three persons. Uh, let's look at John fourteen twenty six. Anybody got that one? John fourteen twenty six. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things. Who's speaking here? Jesus is speaking, right? So Jesus is saying that the, the Holy Spirit is different from me. And the Holy Spirit is different from the Father because the Father is going to send the Holy Spirit. Okay, so keep going. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. What a beautiful job description, right? To fill in all the gaps where we forget. <laughs> Woo. Don't you wish you had somebody going alongside your daily job that did that? Just remember everything that you forgot. I'd pay quite a bit for that, actually. <laughs> that would be wonderful. Uh, and that's what the Holy Spirit does, because God knows that we are human and that we need a helper to help us do things. So each person, the, the number two here, each person is fully God. Um, I'm actually not going to try to read verses that talk about God the Father being God, because that's just... Uh, there's just nobody in Christendom that doesn't believe that. Uh, the, the whole teaching of Scripture is just overwhelmingly God the Father is God. 
So if, if we're good, we'll just kind of move past the 6,000 verses that talk about that. Um, the Son is God. We just talked about John 1.1. 1, 1. The Word was with God and the Word was God. So we've established that the, the Son is God. Uh, and then there's several different verses that talk about the Holy Spirit being God. I like Acts 5, 3, and 4 the best. Um, Acts 5, 3, and 4. Who's got that one? Then who said? Peter said. So we're in the New Testament. Jesus is ascended up. Peter is here, and Peter is saying what? see it? You've lied to the Holy Spirit. You've lied to God. The Holy Spirit is God. Each person of the Godhead is fully God. Now, there's been several, I'm going to cover these pictures here in a little bit, but there's been several attempts to visually display this type of information. And and this is a very common one. And I've actually seen this in, in a lot of Baptist churches, that the Father is part of God and that the Son is part of God and the Holy Spirit is part of God. No, 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 no. This is not Legos. We're not assembling God here, okay? The Father is fully God. The Son is fully God. The Holy Spirit is fully God. They're not partly God. They're not mostly God. This is not uh, the Princess Bride where he's mostly dead. They are, they are fully God. Each member is fully God. So... Then the third point here, the third leg of this important doctrine of the Trinity, is there is one God. Uh, and, you know, we've got dozens of verses on this. I'll have somebody look up Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, and then uh, Romans 3, 30. Those are the two we'll look at, and then we'll move on. Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Somebody may actually have this memorized. Um, Hear, O Israel, the Lord God, the Lord is one. The Lord is how many? One. But, but, there's, but there's three persons. Dave. 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 There's three persons. But it says one. But it says three persons. But there's one being. Exactly. As one being. Three persons in one being. Exactly. Now, is this... Now I'm not going to ask that yet. We'll save that to the end of the class. Um, I can't wait to ask this question. I'm so excited about it. I get excited about things too, guys. It's good. Uh, so finish that text for me. Thank you. Uh, you shall love the Lord your God. How many, how many lords? Uh, Singular Lord, right? Singular, yeah. Okay. With all your heart. With all your soul and with all your strength. It's a beautiful text. Romans 3.30. Who's got Romans 3.30? So that's the Old Testament, and, and this is the Shema. This is the prayer that they would pray. And this is said over and over and over in Romans 3.30. What does Romans 3.30 say? Yes? Since there is one God. There's how many? One yeah, but, but I know that's an Old Testament thing, okay? But things are different in the New Testament. I mean, the Old Testament said one, but we know more about the New Testament. So isn't there a change in the New Testament? You're sure? He doesn't. This is going to be incredibly helpful for us when we look at the heresies that imply that he does. So thank you for bringing that up. So there's how many gods? One God. One. So we've got this concept that God is three persons. Each person is fully God, and there is one God. This is what the Scripture very plainly teaches. Okay? So let's keep going. 
there are problems with denying any one of these three statements. When you start taking apart and picking apart these three statements, you come to spectacularly bad theology. I mean, really, really bad theology. So if you deny the first, if you deny that God is three persons, then what you say is God is one person and that God exhibits or engages as different forms as one person. So, so when we have God the Father talking, God is acting as a father. When we see him walking around on the earth, God is acting as the son. And we, we see him uh, living in us, he is acting as a spirit. And the example of this is, I'll just use myself, I am a teacher in this setting, I am a husband, and I am a father to my children. So I can have three different roles, but one person. See, it all makes sense, right? And the only problem is, I'm not always a teacher and always, and always it doesn't work that way. The, the analogy completely breaks down. And we'll talk about some really bad analogies. But this concept, if you, if you negate this one, here's your blank. If you deny the first, then the easiest solution is modalism. Sorry, M-O-D-A-L-I-S-M, modalism. This is the Father and the Son and the Spirit are different names for God who shows himself differently at different times. Now, this is a really, this is a really big problem for us because if there is one person, when we talk about that we pray to the Father and Jesus intercedes on our behalf and the Spirit helps our prayers, so you have one person helping one person understand and this this just breaks down very, very, very quickly. This is not logical. This is not a good uh, theology, and it is not consistent with the Scripture. So if you deny the second point, each person is fully God, what you end up here is you have to say that at least one of the members of the Trinity is not God. At least one of the members of the Trinity is not God. Right? Because if, if, if they're not fully God, then they're partly God. So maybe, maybe Jesus wasn't God until he came to earth. Maybe that's when he was created. And that, that should really make your brain hurt. I'm so glad I got six scowls right there. That was really good. I love the scowls when I say things that are just hideously incorrect. Um, so either Jesus isn't God or the Holy Spirit isn't God. That would be a problem. And if you deny the third, if you deny the third, the easiest solution is polytheism. Right? We have three gods, which... Oh, time out. I mean, we've got the Old Testament that says there's one God. We've got the New Testament that says there's one God. This is a problem. Now, um, there have been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of attempts to explain this concept of the being of God through various analogies. And the problem with the analogies is that there is nothing in the universe that is fundamentally the same as our God. Nothing. There's just not. So, so to try to use an analogy to explain it, the analogy doesn't work. There's not one that works. The only reality that explains God is God. Because there is fundamentally nothing in the universe like our God. We have no experience with three persons and one being. So Dave, stand up. Albert, stand up. Um, can you stand up for me? So we've got three persons, right? We understand this. You have a name, you have a name, you have a name. 
three persons. I'm good with that. I'd actually be okay with your God, your God, and your God. I'm good with that. But my head hurts when I say that there is one being because this is one being, this is one being, and this is one being. God is fundamentally not like anything else in the universe. And it should not cause us to doubt Him when we struggle to articulate how to put these three things together. He is just not like us. Yay! <laughs> I don't want a God like me. I fail. I sin. I fall short. I need a God who I can't even comprehend who He is and how He functions completely and holistically and together to bring about all of redemption. So when I look at the Trinity and I say, I can't fully explain it, praise the Lord I can't fully explain it. I don't want a God I can fully explain. I want a God that overwhelms me with the excellence of His being. And so this is what I have been soaking on. <laughs> that I have not wait, could not wait to say. I almost called Sunday school yesterday. Because I was just, I was so stinking excited. I was just so stinking excited. I had an ACT class that I taught yesterday morning at 9. I thought, you know, maybe I could squeeze in Sunday school at 8. Maybe we could just get everybody there at 8 o'clock. And I thought, no, they won't come. Thank you, guys. You can have a seat. So we have these analogies that fall short. And I won't go into all of them. One's a three-leaf clover. One's a tree. God's like the, the roots and the trunk. And, the, and No, he's not. He's just really not. Because the roots are not... Fully a tree. The leaves are not fully the tree. God's not like water either. Oh, He can be liquid or He can be steam or He can be ice. No, because ice doesn't fully have all the attributes that all of water can have. It, it breaks down. And there's no persons in that. Problem. There's the word persons up here, right? So you've got to have an analogy that's got persons in it. We fundamentally cannot use an analogy to describe God because He is just not like us. So next blank. No analogy adequately teaches about the Trinity. And all are misleading in significant ways. So, so I have a question that I've inserted in my notes. So how do we explain the Trinity? How do we explain the Trinity to young ones? How, how about we state what the Bible says and leave it at that? Just state what the Scripture says. Just state what the Scripture says. It's okay. It is, it is going to be healthy for young people to understand at a young age that they do not fully comprehend their God. Because guess what? When they get older, they're not going to fully comprehend their God. Don't set them up for failure. Oh, you'll understand that one day. No, you won't. No, no, you won't. It's not happening. I don't think we'll fully understand it in heaven because when we're in heaven in our glorified bodies, He still will be fundamentally different than we are. Praise the Lord. That will be the sustaining force that enables us to exist with Him forever. It is absolutely beautiful. Yes, Dave? Thank you. I need a drink. Fundamental problem with all cults, you know, serious, alterations in theology and so forth is that we try to explain it because the moment... You can explain it. You became God. And that you have read my notes. Because that's where I'm going next. That's where I'm going next. So what, is it, what does it look like? What does it look like, flesh and blood, in the world that we live in when we deny one of these three? Okay, so if you deny the first one, this is modalism. Another word for it is Sabalianism. I don't think this is in your notes because I didn't want to... It's like too many terms. It's crazy. 
Uh, Sabellianism is uh, based on the writings of a guy named Sibelius. Uh, he lived uh, a long time ago. And he basically said that God was one person and that he existed in uh, one person and he expressed himself differently and that's how the members of the Trinity, that's how we understand it. Now Gary likes to use the phrase modalistic monarchianism. You, you guys have heard him say this before. It's fun to just say. Right? Just say it with me. Modalistic monarchianism. It's awesome. And he's like, that's kind of a cool phrase. So modalistic, mode, there's different modes that you can be in. Monarchianism, monarch, there's a king. So there's different modes for the kingship. So sometimes the king displays himself as a father. And sometimes the king displays himself as the son. And sometimes the king displays himself as a spirit. And the problem is, there's three persons. There's a problem with this theology. So it can be called modalism, it can be called Sabellianism or modalistic monarchianism. Um, the United Pentecostal Church believes this. If you, if you ever see oneness Pentecostals, modalists. It's the only group on the planet that believes this. Now, the vast, now the, the oneness Pentecostals are actually kicked out of the rest of the Pentecostal Church. There's a very, very small portion. The vast, 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 99 point something percent of Pentecostals are good Trinitarians. Absolutely understand God is three persons. Each person is fully God. There is one God. As far as I can tell, this is the only group that is modalistic today. Okay? So, second big concept is Arianism. Now, you guys know about Arius, right? You probably know about Arius because there's a really cool story about St. Nicholas and Arius. Because they kind of got into it. They really kind of got into it, actually. So, St. Nicholas was a real guy. Arius was a real guy. And they were bishops, and there was a church council, the council at Nicaea in 325 A.D., and this is where the church, quote-unquote, voted on Trinitarianism, specifically whether or not Jesus was fully God. Now, Jesus was fully God before the church voted. This is just everybody getting together to agree <laughs> that we believe this, right? So just, just want to make sure. This is not when we flip the switch and, oh, he's God. No, he was God before the foundation of the earth. He was God before we knew how to write that he was God. Right? I mean, this is just, he has been God forever. So Arius believed that, uh, that Jesus wasn't fully God. Arius believed that Jesus was partly God. Like, he had, a, he had a section, but he really wasn't fully God. And Nicholas was mad. Nicholas was really, really mad. And the uh, legend goes that Nicholas jumps up and walks over to Arius while he's speaking and slaps him. And this was, this was not okay. This was really not okay. The, the leader of the church at that point actually de-bishoped, I don't know how you do that, but uh, threw him in jail, uh, Nicholas, for slapping another bishop. This was not appropriate behavior. The legend goes on to say that Jesus and Mary visited Nicholas in prison, and Mary brought him bishop clothing, and Jesus bought him a copy of the scripture, so that when the guard opened the door the next morning, their air, their Nicholas is fully robed in his bishop clothes again, which they had taken away from him, and reading a copy of the scripture, to which the emperor said, uh, you're a bishop again. So lots of fuzziness around these stories. I t- I'll tell you the rest of the story to help us understand, but there was, there was controversy in the early church, but it was a very small controversy. There were two votes that voted no toward the divinity of Jesus at the Council of Nicaea, and everybody else voted yes, hundred and some odd yeses, two noes. Sounds like overwhelming majority to me, right? This is the way this works. Okay, so a couple reasons for the importance of the doctrine of the Trinity. Um, the first one here is the atonement is at stake. 
the atonement is at stake. So what's the atonement? The atonement is the at-one-ment, the bringing together of God and man through the person of Jesus Christ. So if, if the Trinity is not true and Jesus Christ is only partly God, then we have an insufficient sacrifice. We have somebody who does not qualify to atone for my sins. We have somebody who, who sort of qualifies. I don't need a sort of qualify. I need an all-in completely qualifies. You either meet all the aspects of this job description or you do not. So he is either fully God or he is not. And then second, justification by faith alone is threatened. And this is, this is the teaching of the Jehovah's Witnesses, um, is that Jesus is not fully God. Um, you know, they'll take you to John chapter 1 and they'll argue really bad Greek grammar and say that Jesus is he's like God. Well, he's like God because he is God. <laughs> yeah, I'll go with that. But he is God. Um, so you end up with this, uh, you can't trust him to save us because he is only like God. Uh, so what are the distinctions between Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? This is a good question. Grudem raised this in his audio teaching. I don't know that I saw it in the actual text itself. So this next sentence is my summary of listening to Grudem for four hours this week. Uh, the Father plans. The Son executes. And the Spirit sustains. So do they, are they equally God? Absolutely. Do they have different roles? Absolutely. Absolutely. They have different roles. And this is good. This is good for us. And they eternally existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All right, so here's some application for you. I'm going to end on this one. Because God in Himself has both unity and diversity. It is not surprising that unity and diversity are reflected in human relationships that he has established. Right? I, I'd never heard this before. This, is, this was like, ooh, that's kind of cool. So, so let's talk about unity and diversity. So, Julie, can you stand for just a sec? This is my bride. She is mine. She is not yours. She is all mine. I am excited she is mine. She's embarrassed that she is mine right now. Um, there is unity here. When we said, I do, God created a oneness, right? Would we, would everybody good with me so far? We agree? Is there diversity here as well? Heck yeah. You see this? She ain't got that, right? Yeah. But, you know, that's going to sound really weird on the podcast. So for the podcast, I'm thinking about my beard. There we go. Um, yeah, y'all catch that in a minute. Don't worry. The uh, <laughs> unity and diversity at the same time, right? Because these types of relationships point us toward and are a reflection. Thank you, baby. And are a reflection of the concepts in the Trinity. But I would not use this to teach the Trinity, right? Because it is wholly insufficient. These are two beings. But there is unity and diversity. Think about the church. The church itself. We are how many bodies? One. Just this, just this campus? No. no. One. All. Not, not three. All of them. One body. Great diversity. We'll just take the hair color or lack of hair in this room alone. Great your head is really hot. That's amazing. Um, it's actually kind of warm my hands up. It's a little cold here. Um, sorry. 
squirrel. It was great. Um, all right, so let's look at some heresies real quick. Some heresies real quick. You can either, you can either say you can split God up into three different parts. This is wrong. You can say that God is, and there's kind of a bolt-on that's a Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We just kind of add. This, we're still playing Legos here. And I've I, I read this in like ten times. I don't understand this one. Um, there, are, there are things that act upon like the Father and like the Son. I mean, it's just it's denying the three persons. This was Grudem's picture, and I actually kind of like it. Because the Father is fully God, the Son is fully God, the Holy Spirit is fully God. But let's not draw sharp lines between them, because when you do this, it makes it look like you're just partially God. So, so I kind of, sort of, maybe like this, but even then... It gives me the willies thinking that I'm going to draw something that's going to adequately reflect the complexity of the excellence of my God. It is just too much to comprehend. So, that's the lesson today. So when we communicate the doctrine of the Trinity, just state the facts that Scripture teaches, that God is three persons, each person is fully God, and there is one God. That is enough for us right now. And I know that's enough for us right now because that's what He gave us for right now. So when you go beyond what God has given... You lend yourself toward all sorts of heresy and sin, and it is very, very bad. So, thank you for coming to Sunday School today. I appreciate you being here. There's a sheet on the table that says the Sunday School Weekly Update. So, make sure you've got your prayer requests on that. Uh, Pray as a group. You are dismissed. Thanks for coming.